Greetings and welcome to the Business of Agriculture podcast with me, your host, Damian Mason. We get together here every week and discuss issues impacting the industry of food, fuel, fiber, and farming. Got a fun guest for you today. His name is Chad Sager. Chad is a grain guy, third generation from Western Kansas. He has a company called Farm Strategy. Their logo or motto or slogan, whichever you prefer, it's called Purposefully Grown Grain. Chad's a sharp dude, I can tell already, and I've only known him just a little while. He's a Kansas stater. But the thing I really like about him is he's listened to my book, Do Business Better, five times on audio. Of course, he's in Western Kansas. You can listen to it once just driving to the store because things are so desolate out there, as we all know. Chad's going to talk to us today about what farm strategy does and what purposefully grown grain does. And it's my impression that the, the world, especially the developed world, places like here in the United States and Canada, where most of my listeners are, once a more specialized product, the consumer, and you hear me talk about this all the time, is no longer in commodity, how cheap, how, how commoditized can we get. The consumer wants food that makes them feel good. And sometimes it means just feel good about that they bought something special. There's also more and more demand for non-commodity stuff, niche stuff. So who makes the connection? Who tells the grain producer hey, here's what the marketplace is demanding, or here's how you can make a better grain or a more Ohioleic grain or whatever these things are. Well, that's where I believe Chad Sager can help us out. Mr. Sager, welcome to the business of agriculture. Thanks, Damien. Appreciate the opportunity. Okay. So I want you to tell me what farm strategy does. In order to do that, I'm going to tell you a little bit of the history because that explains uh, why we're doing what we're doing today. Uh, so you're, you're, almost you're, a you're a grain guy. You know the history. You've been around a long time. Go ahead and bring my listeners, our listeners, up to speed. Give us the history. Sure. So, uh, yeah, I've been in the grain business uh, most of my life, uh, past 15 years kind of professionally. Um, just joined uh, Farm Strategy uh, recently. Some work that started about 10 years ago. Um, uh, a guy named Andrew uh, grew up on a farm in Kansas, got out of college, and just started learning more about their production system, what millers uh, needed, uh, finding ways to solve problems and improve quality. And uh, as that grew over the years from helping neighbors to helping people in multiple states to, to what we're uh, working with today, um, the process is uh, understanding what people at one end of the supply chain need and connecting with people at the front end of the supply chain uh, that have the abilities to solve those problems and, and produce what's needed. Uh, in order to make that happen, then uh, there actually has to be you know, value involved and, and uh, an incentive, whether it be economic or a social incentive to to innovate in the supply chain. And uh, we kind of function along the, the marketplace uh, from top to bottom, uh, having conversations, uh, trying to solve problems, bringing people together. Got it. So this other person is a partner or how did that all come together? Actually, it's his business. Yeah, it's his idea. Um, he's, he's the guy that grew up on the farm. And so um, I've just jumped aboard his boat here. Um, but yeah, he's, uh, he, he's the guy that's been casting the vision. All right. So his vision was we've got people that uh, are out here producing farmers and then you got people that are end users and they're not always on the exact same page. Is that what the idea was? So he says, I'm going to, I'm going to bring them together and, and educate. I'm going to bring them together and say, Hey, we got this, uh, this producer that wants to grow something else. And we got this processor that needs something else. Is that what we're talking about? Absolutely. In some of the cases, uh, solving the problems isn't, isn't that difficult. Um, flour millers want a high quality wheat. And, uh, when they know and understand that a producer's practices affects the quality, um, now they can investigate whether there's an incentive, uh, you know, to make that happen. And by the same token, uh, wheat growers, um, the quality of their wheat gets talked about by flour mills and bakers in, in other 
specifications and terms and qualities that's not part of their vocabulary. We think they should know and understand those same qualities that uh, people at the back end of the supply chain, you know, talk about their weed in um, so that they can learn about them, know what they're growing and, and see how their practices affect those qualities um, as it relates to uh, uh, giving millers and bakers what they want. Okay. So you saw this need or your partner, uh, Andrew, you said, saw this need and then said, I need some help. And he brings you in because you know, grain. Is that how this worked? That's the long and short of it. Yes. All right. So what's your role? You're the, you're the recruiter. You're the salesperson, the marketer, <laughs> the question answerer. What else? Uh, we're a small crew. So we wear whatever hat is needed any given day. Uh, my primary responsibilities are uh, focused around the supply chain, uh, anywhere from the production end um, to the back end, uh, the flour mill and the baker, um, trying to find partners along the way. Uh, we work with anybody in the industry, uh, working relationships with seed companies, uh, weed associations, grain companies, um, agronomy companies, uh, warehousemen, you know, producers. So, uh, if, if we can find somebody that produces something and we can find somebody who needs it, uh, we still need people in between, uh, in that supply chain. So that's also part of my effort is to leverage, uh, you know, we don't need to create, recreate the wheel. Uh, there's plenty of functions out there that, uh, that we just need to partner with to make these things happen in a little bit different way. How do, do you slash farm strategy get paid? Um, our revenue source today is, uh, we're working in wheat particularly right now is a commodity that we've gotten started in. Uh, we charge two cents a bushel to help growers and, um, uh, wheat handlers learn about the milling and baking characteristics of that, of that wheat. Uh, we have a $500 minimum, but, um, and then also if we, uh, we're developing pilot programs, um, with some end users and we're also helping, um, at, you know, wheat growers make marketing connections that add value to their crop. Um, and if, uh, if they participate with us in that regard, uh, we charge three cents a bushel. So at most it's uh, it's a nickel. Um, there's been some, um, some pretty, uh, uh, pretty large numbers as far as added value for, for that investment. Uh, and it's a learning opportunity as well. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. So the producer says for two cents, you're going to help me find an extra, uh, 10 cents on, on my bushels. So it's a, it, to me, it should be a no brainer, uh, that they're going to do that. And then you said on the three cents, that's from the processor side. No, that's also from the producer. Okay. So yep. for an extra nickel, you can find them new markets and, and foster that along. And that's essentially what we're trying to do. And so they're getting more, more money for that. What, what kind of premium do you think that they could get if they made a nickel investment? Um, you know, in production agriculture, there's, there's no guarantees. Um, and so it's a similar kind of a thing on that investment. Um, so there's some cases where um, it turns out, you know, there's maybe not a value added opportunity any given year. Um, when it comes to, uh, the, you know, again, these are extreme ends, but you know, there's been cases in the last year or two where there's been a dollar, dollar 25, a dollar 50, uh, per bushel premium that some guys have realized in some unique circumstances. So, uh, it, it's, it's, it's pretty exciting. The upside. Yeah, that's really exciting. So we're talking about specialized stuff that we're not talking about your basic hard red winter wheat. Now we're talking about hard red winter wheat. That's also got these three characteristics and is bred by this, uh, this seed company and grown in this fashion. I mean, how, how much are we changing what we used to do? Yeah, certainly there can be some really unique and specialized cases where there's a lot of additional parameters that get put on that, uh, that product. But, uh, by and large, um, it's, it's not a lot. It's, it's an extra you know, stability is a common, um, uh, term, uh, in milling and baking characteristics that talks, it, it's, it's essentially in layman terms, it's the quality of the protein in the wheat. Um, and so, uh, that's, that's the one that we're, uh, we got a couple pilot programs this year with some mills out on the West coast. Um, and it's all around, uh, identifying 
um, and executing on uh, some known stability in wheat. Known stability again means what? Um, it's like, uh, it's like test weight. It's like if you had corn and you didn't know what the test weight was, stability is another characteristic that, that flour mills and bakers talk about in wheat. Uh, it's not, uh, uh, today it's not testable in whole kernel form, say over the scale at the elevator, it has to be ground into flour and dough in order to, to do some of these tests. And so that makes it more time consuming and it's right. harder, but if we can uh, do that upstream, segregate and sample test, identify what's there and still have it segregated to the point that there's recourse then we can connect those additional known qualities with people who say that they want to pay for them. Yeah. And then who does, who, who jockeys out the price when they say, okay, we'll pay for these known, uh, these known, uh, what'd you call it? <laughs> known qualities. Yeah. No yeah, yeah. Who comes up with the price uh, premium on that? Do you set it? No, no. Uh, we, 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 we want to be a guide to the marketplace. Um, we're not going to be a recommendation company. Um, the marketplace does the marketplace participants. Do. I mean, that's part of the challenge. Maybe part of the reason that some of this hasn't been done before is because you got to sit down with the guy at one end of the chain that says, this is valuable to me. And the guy at the other end of the chain that says, Hey, I can produce what you say is valuable. How valuable is it to you? What does it cost you to produce it? You know, there's that back and forth, that market discovery. Um, and so we, we're trying to help facilitate that in some of these conversations. And at the same time, some of these things are new and, and it's a trial and error process to kind of, you know, throw something out there see if it gets some traction. Hey, that wasn't enough premium or boy, we got a lot of attention with that. And you kind of, you know, the evolution of the market. Got it. Customers, clients. Okay. The producers, we get that they're, they're farmers. And right now it's mostly wheat farmers and probably mostly within a uh, hundred miles of you in Western Kansas, right? Uh, seven States right now. And probably some more soon. So no, it's a pretty big radius. Okay. So you've got seven States, mostly wheat, anything yes. else? Anything else? Uh, nothing of any significance, mostly wheat right now. Okay. So who, who would be a client than the processor? Give me an example if you're not afraid to do so. Uh, Bay state milling grain craft. And then their stuff goes on to baked goods that the consumer eats. And that's going to be under any number of branded names from little Debbie to, uh, Pillsbury to whatever. Is that what I'm to understand? It can be Wendy's King Arthur's flower. Yeah. You name it. It could go anywhere. Okay. And then the, the markup happens at the processing side, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Is this become a contractual thing? In other words, you know, a lot of things in agriculture are becoming contractual contractual thing. I grow barley for Coors or I uh, raise chickens for Tyson. Uh, what happens on this thing on the value added front? Uh, we think as, you know, people are presented with some new ideas and ways that they can, you know, maybe tweak the supply chain and do some different things to meet the needs, uh, that there'll be some of those specified, um, supply chains that probably do develop, whether it's a, a cost plus type of model or, or simply, um, a contractual thing like, Hey, I'm, I'm committed to growing this and there's protections both ways. Um, and there's, and there definitely still could be some open market, um, things about some of these, um, you know, ideas about how we do things a little bit differently. Yeah. Well, I think it's all neat and I think it's a good idea, but I also am thinking about how you get paid because if I want farm strategy to stay in business, cause you're a, you know, you're a, a 37 year old young guy in agriculture and you're out here, you're a smart dude. You've been third generation. Do you become the, the contract arranger on this? You say, no, I stay away from that because eventually you're going to, where, where does you, where does Chad Sager fit it? We just got to run fast and we got to run to what's next. Um, we, 
forced. Again, we see ourselves as a guide to the marketplace. We don't have anything patentable or protected. People, other people can do what we're doing. Uh, maybe we're a little bit of a first adopter, a little bit of first of the market. Maybe we're going to try to run a little faster out of the gate. But um, in the wheat supply chain, we could anticipate, you know, as this matures and this becomes maybe more a normal part of how everyone from producers to consumers consider what they want the supply chain to look like, we're not going to be needed in 10 or 20 years. Um, all the marketplace participants will have kind of, you know, move some new directions. Maybe they'll have new challenge they want us to help solve. Um, but, but we're going to keep moving, uh, you know, trying to, trying to help people solve new challenges and then, you know, connect the participants that are the, the answers to those problems. Um, what we bring uniquely to the table is, is uh, it, it's maybe not as tangible as some of the other solutions. Well, but there's still going to be, a, I mean, it's almost like there's a market maker here, you know, in some regards, because you're not talking about, again, you're not talking, you've taken yellow two number corn and now it's yellow two number corn that has this, 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 and this also uh, type of raising genetics characteristics, et cetera, et cetera. So it seems to me that your role would long-term be uh, we're going to be the, the specialists on specialized grain. Yeah. We help people solve problems, uh, encourage collaboration. You know, Hey, somebody says they got a problem. What's that worth to them? Maybe we know somebody who knows somebody who can, you know, put a number to how that can be fixed and then find out if that's, you know, generates an economic return, uh, a lot of networking, a lot of conversations, um, a lot of transparency, you know, it takes transparency sometimes to somebody says, Hey, well that, that'd be really valuable to me if you could do that. Well, well how, how valuable would that be? If, if we can't put some numbers to it, then it's hard to move forward to try to actually find a, a solution that somebody can run with. Well, you put a nickel on a bushel of wheat. And since I know farmers and I've been around them my whole entire life, um, they're about the cheapest humans. I mean, they're tighter than the bark on a tree. So if you're getting a nickel a bushel now and you're, and you can find them an extra 50 cents for it. I mean, that seems to me like you could, you could if you can get a nickel out of a, a farmer, you're doing better than many people are. So that's all I'm saying. Uh, what do you, uh, what do you see? What do you see the next growth thing for farm strategy? By the way, all the farmers listening right now, all just like went and griped about that. And they all then said, well, I guess I am kind of cheap because they are, we know it. It's fine. I've been around you my whole life. I got it. I am one. I'm sometimes cheap. Oh no, not as much as you guys. All right. Next. Uh, what's next for you guys? What's the next thing? A different commodity? Yeah. Yeah. More than likely it'll be into that. We're, uh, We've had some requests uh, to do all kinds of different things. Um, maybe the, we're working on some stuff in a beef arena. Had interest in some some feed uh, corn things, specialty corn, food grade corn, milo, millet, um, other wheats. Food grade um, for humans. Correct. Yeah. And then also you said for beef. Obviously, you're out there where there's a lot of uh, a lot of feed yards. So they saying we got to do something a little different, or that to be we're going to have ten of our pens out here are going to be organic every uh, every turn. I mean, what are we talking about? Um, understanding feed digestibility variables, you know, between corn, like why is this corn more digestible, which translates to better performance for the cattle and maybe even a reduction in methane gas that is released, you know, wow. All the people that would be excited uh, for, for fewer farting cows. Um, well, I think Alexandria so Ocasio-Cortez could be brought into this because she knows a great deal about agriculture. Actually, she doesn't know anything about agriculture, but she is concerned about cow farts. Yeah. So, uh, just understanding those things, you know, again, just kind of come up in conversation. Hey boy, if we could understand that, identify the front end variables that affect that, get some kind of, um, control or influence over these higher digestible feed corns that are coming in versus the lower ones, you know, that has value to somebody. So, um, again, it's just, uh, kind of, um, 
having conversations, you know, maybe problems that have been around for a long time. Some of the solutions are, are, are going to come up because there's, there's new things that the marketplace wants. And in some cases it's uh, maybe we're addressing problems that have been around for a while and, and uh, just getting the right people in the room to, to figure out how to solve them. Well, I don't, anything, I don't think wrong with that. There's, there's obviously plenty of things that we can come up with. So, you know, is it going to be one of these deals that we solve a bunch of these things that everybody's squawking about? Are we going to have less methane gas because of a specialized feed ration that instead we always just went with how much energy and how efficient, you know, that's all ag ever thinks about is how many bushels and how many pounds we can produce per day. Is it going to be a thing where we, uh, we do truly use less uh, or more of, uh, we, we get bigger input by changing our, uh, changing our production and all of a sudden it's, we can tout the environmental benefit. Uh, it's certainly possible. Yeah. I mean, and that's the, you know, there's, there's, I had an old boss that taught me something really important that stuck with me today. Uh, you know, people do what they're incentivized to do. And so, you know, the marketplace offers incentives, consumers offer incentives, uh, and, and it's just a matter of how we respond to them. So, I mean, if there becomes a big enough incentive and there's, uh, the kind of tools out there to, to solve those kind of problems and we can reduce the amount of methane gas that the cows are emitting, whether it makes a difference or not, uh, you know, in terms of, of all the other things that we're worried about, um, let the marketplace work. Are we, since you're a smart eye guy and, uh, and by the way, our listeners don't realize that right now you're just walking around and you just gave me an entire tour from your office to your, to your Sorry. upstairs, to your downstairs, you're going all around. Are you, are you losing I, I, I got to get some power. No, I'm good. Oh, uh, you gotta get some power. Okay. I'm wondering, this guy's got screaming kids and closing doors and everything else. This is a, this guy. They've is, been gone all week. They just got home. Yeah. <laughs> he's a worker, this guy. Uh, all right. Talking to Chad Sager, in case you forgot, he's with Farm Strategy, whose uh, slogan is purposefully grown grain. Uh, speaking of purposefully grown grain, all right, you've been around this your whole life. Keep telling me what the future looks like because uh, I, I, I'm, I'm over here in Indiana, you know, and I travel around North America. You see a lot of different stuff from your angle. What, what, are, what are you seeing that others in ag are not? I think there's a, a tremendous amount of education opportunity and I'll just use a few examples. Um, you know, if we talk to someone at a flour milling company and their quality control people don't know that what farmers do to their crop affects the quality of the wheat that they produce. If they don't know that that's possible, they don't ever think to ask the question, well, maybe we should incentivize the farmer to do something different. If a farmer doesn't understand that what a flour mill wants at the back end of the wheat supply chain are some different qualities that he's not aware of or thinking about today, well, he doesn't even have the opportunity to think, maybe I should learn about those qualities and see if I can produce them and get paid for it. Uh, so I think there's just, we're, we're coming across in a lot of these conversations, um, just an education component. Um, sometimes it's pretty low hanging fruit uh, when people are given an opportunity to think differently, you know, consider what's possible, you know, and instead of that, well, this, this is the way we've always done it or well, well, that'll never work. Um, I, I think those are, those are kind of the things, uh, problem solving. Um, it just looking at it from a different lens. Uh, you know, there's a lot of generalists out there that probably, uh, supersede some of the specialists when it comes to solving some of these problems. Cause we get a little bit too narrow minded, narrow focused. Uh, we get the blinders on when we're looking within our specific domain. Um, and sometimes when we broaden, broaden out, um, you know, the parties that we're having conversations with, uh, some of these problems aren't so hard to solve. Um, maybe not, not easy, but they're, but they're simple if we put the right pieces together. Yeah. Uh, when you're talking about stuff that you're seeing, uh, there's always been a little bit of a disconnect, unfortunately, between the production because we're so darn good at it and that's what we focus on. And then what the, 
end user once, and I say end user, you know, I'm thinking end consumer. And I always, that's a big subject of my talks among agricultural audiences is, you guys still think it matters about how cheap something is? Uh, we'll bred that into our, our brain in agriculture. Cheap, 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 cheap food, cheap food. And I say, if the United States of America cared about cheap food, they wouldn't spend $21 billion a year on plastic bottles of water. Uh, water's free. So I go around this all the time with my ag crowds and say, there's a whole bunch of folks out here that want to spend money for social causes or because it makes them feel good or whatever that is. What about the GMO thing? When you talk to a grain processor, a miller uh, that's putting together wheat for dough, does that come up? Yeah, it does come up. Um, not, not in the sense of what do we think about that, but in the sense that that's a particular part of the supply chain that that particular companies, you know, whether it's organic wheat or non-GMO corn or, right. you know, the specialized whatever. Um, yeah. And those are, you know, all just different uh, ways and to segregate, you know, a supply chain. And so um, all those things can be worked with. And if somebody wants to run an organic program, then let's, help them figure out how to run an organic program. And, and uh, so that, you know, that, that those market participants are responding to what the demand is and, and uh, if that's what they want, then let's help them do it. Sure. Uh, on the, on the processor that you're talking about, the miller or whatever. And then uh, is there any other special requests that we don't know about? Because I mean, I, I know about the organic and GMO and some of that. Is there anything else that you're being asked about that maybe we wouldn't even think about out here in the producer land? Oh, probably. Uh, you know, one that we're kind of, you know, there's a, uh, the thing that makes apples turn brown when they've uh, been cut and sits out. It's called PPO, polyphenol oxidase. And it's also something that's produced in wheat and uh, will cause, uh, if the flour is not bleached, it will cause, say, tortillas to turn brown. Well, if you can produce a wheat that has low PPOs out of the gate, then you don't need to bleach the flour. So then that doesn't need to be exposed to that process. Um, yeah, so there's, there's, there's niche things like that out have there. You, have, um, you been asked, have you been asked by one of your clients or a company you're working with to say, can you bring me a low PPO wheat? So I can say we use only non-bleached flour. Actually on this particular one, we're working the market from the other direction. We had somebody bring us a low PPO wheat. And uh, so we're trying to, trying to work, work through the channels to find out if maybe there's somebody that would want something like that. Um, I had a, you know, a conversation with the California wheat commission director and, uh, you know, and just kind of investigating that, like what would be the, the mechanisms and, uh, and the feedback I got was that actually a lot of the, the tortilla bakers out there, many of them don't even know that, that there is such a thing as a low PPO wheat or that it's even possible to produce a wheat that naturally has low PPO levels. So, uh, again, so we, we, wheat company bred something, found it and said, Hey, we got this deal. Maybe somebody wants it. I don't know. Let's, let's go ask some questions, try to find out. Yeah. It sounds like an amazing way to differentiate if nothing else. Then you say, I, I got, you know, this company over here that's saying they're GMO free and, and this company is doing this and you say our wheat is unbleached. Uh, and then you just go ahead and demonize the hell out of bleaching. And then you tell the world that bleaching kills you. And then all of a sudden you've got a market. That's how this whole thing works, right? You, you just create this straw man that everything's going to kill you unless it's your product. That's how modern marketing and food and agriculture works, right? We'll, we'll leave the marketing to everybody else. Uh, if they want to bring problems to us, they want us to help solve, love to jump in. Well, I'm the marketing guy. So that's why I said, if, if you want me to help you with your company, it's going to be very easy. We're going to demonize the hell out of every other uh, entity that you, that has characteristics that you do not and claim that they will kill you. And then we'll just set it up so that yours is the only logical solution because it's the one that doesn't kill you. Uh, I, I agree. You want to tout your points of market differentiation. I'm an economist by trade. So uh, some of those marketing things, I leave that to my wife. 
All right. Speaking of your wife, all right, you're out there, you got your business, uh, you're doing this, you're busy, busy, busy. Your role is going all over the place, trying to get these clients, and these customers and all this kind of thing. But you seem almost fatalistic about it. You just said that in five to 10 years, the market's not going to need you. I don't, I don't agree with that. I think there's all kinds of opportunity for you. You just don't want to spill, you don't want to spill your guts and, and uh, show me your hand and tell me what your real objective <laughs> is, right? <laughs> You'd be really disappointed if I showed you my hand. No, it's uh, that's kind of the fun about this deal. Uh, I don't know. We just seem to really struck a lick here in in, uh, in in trying to help people solve problems in ways that there's not a bunch of fine print, there's not a bunch of strings attached. We're not trying to get 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 in deep on somebody, you know, for, with surprises. Um, we we really believe that you know if this thing makes us a bunch of money or we still own it in 20 years or you know whatever that that's that's not really the goal if if our efforts you know particularly today end up in the wheat market the wheat industry um changing in terms of quality then then it will have been a success so uh, I, I don't know how to characterize that maybe that's a little bit idealistic but um it's sure something fun to chase and uh uh, and charge after. Are you optimistic about the future of ag or what are you most optimistic about? Because we know we've got some, uh, some anti-ag politicians. They don't like modern agriculture. We've got uh, the environmental angle that uh, they want to take away a lot of our tools. What are you optimistic about? What thing are you not annoyed about? What thing makes you optimistic? Well, I love working in agriculture because of the quality of the people. Um, <laughs> the thought that comes to mind that makes me optimistic is uh, unfortunately a lot of wars are fought over food and water. And we're, uh, we're amazingly blessed in, in this country, particularly that we don't have those situations, but ultimately at some point we may, uh, and maybe not in those particular regards, but it, it may become uh, more than uh, uh, just happen, happen chance how our food marketplace evolves. So uh, I, there's good people in agriculture. They're smart people it is necessary uh, for us to all live. However many people make it to the earth, whether it's eight, nine, 10, 20 billion, um, you know, it's going to evolve and change. And, and, and uh, so I, I'm definitely optimistic. Well, I got to tell you that the, there's an old thing about, uh, it's kind of like, uh, there's been a lot of statements along these lines, Chad, that your, your, uh, your worry will fill itself. You know, you'll always create worry or like you'll always, uh, work will fill as many hours as you devote to it. There's all those kinds of things. Then about wars, you said being fought over food and water. When you have no need to fight over food and water, it's as still as though there's a human thing in the United States of America. They make up reasons to fight over food and water. We've got the most of, we get the most of both, but our, our politicians have you know, decided that it, if you're not a vegan, you should be prosecuted or we're going to take away hot dogs like Bill de Blasio is in New York city. The cause groups make it. So it is amazing. We really don't have any reason to fight over food and water, but by God, the cause groups just can't stand the idea that we have so much of it. And now it's got to be about choice. So instead of being scarcity, it's about what you want to eat and feed your kids versus what I want to eat and feed my kids. And so you must be wrong. Interesting. Our, uh, our domestic food supply chain is not driven by hunger, but by appetite. Yeah, it's driven by also, and then again, things that make the consumer feel good because it's absolutely, it's absolutely now become a thing where food is a political uh, statement. It's a social statement and a political statement. <laughs> more than it ever has been. And certainly you're going to, you know, you're going to look at your history. And if you're kind of into history, like me, you look back and say for, this is what's remarkable because I'm writing my next book. It's, it's an agriculture and food book. So that's the first time I've announced it on air. And I talk about the fact that for the first time, this all just started about a hundred years ago. So in 10,000 years of agriculture being in existence, 
scarcity still ruled, right? It was always just, you didn't have enough of it until about the last 100 to 200 years in a few countries. So think of that, 10 or 11,000 years of agriculture. And even then we're eating better, but we're still really hungry. You know, things like the potato famine and, and, and uh, Ireland and whatnot, really just in the last hundred or so years as we, as we make this huge switch from scarcity to surplus. It's really remarkable what's happened in our industry. The whole time the population has gone bonkers and we still have for the first time in the last 11,000 years surplus. Chad Sager, Farm Strategy purposefully grown grain. He has been my guest. I think this has been an interesting conversation because this is something that a lot of you didn't think about. And I didn't think about the fact that there's probably somebody here saying, Hey, you need this. I'll bet you we can find you a producer or a producer says we've got this. Who wants it? Chad's also a fan of my book, do business better. I am going to make a little commercial pitch here. You should buy do business better. If you're in your tractor, your car, your truck, a lot, you can buy it on audio. Like he did Chad favorite part of do business better. You don't have to narrow it down. I know the whole thing's favorite. Give me your top five. Okay, there we go. Oh man, top five. It's just uh, for me. It's just encouraging, you know, because there's there's plenty of material out there. You know, do this, do that. These ideas, this and that. And there's, you know, there's nothing new under the sun essentially. But uh, to me, it was it was just delivered in a format that uh, that's encouraging for like to do something. Like not not just learn and hear and and wallow around in the idea of doing something, but okay, like implement one thing, like do something different. Uh, I don't know. That was kind of, kind of what I got out of it. It just was really, it was motivating and charging in that regard. Yeah. And I, I guess uh, what was neat, your, your statement to me, and then a lot of other statements were, uh, in my opinion, fresh and, and fantastic because they said things like, uh, you know, there's nothing that's really rocket science here. It's a lot of just simple, basic stuff that'll make you successful. I said, yeah, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Uh, first off, I don't know that rocket science uh, is my thing. And secondly, a lot of folks, your problem isn't uh, that you need to worry about how to trade on derivatives on Wall Street to be successful. You don't even have your checkbook balance. Let's start there. You know, let's, let's do that. So that's kind of one of my things. Um, I like the simplicity of it. All right. His name's Chad Sager. You can check him out. Farmstrategy.com, I believe is our website. Is that right? Yes, sir. So if anybody's listening to this and says, hey, we are one of those millers, we are one of those grain processors that is looking for some specialty item and they want to find you to help you, uh, to, to, to let you help them get them connected, they would find you through farmstrategy.com. His name's Chad Sager. Where else can they find you? Uh, we, we've got a Twitter account at farmstrategy. Um, yeah, one of those two places uh, we can definitely get connected through the website or Twitter. You know, you should help this guy out because he's 37. He's got kids. They were gone all week. Clearly, he's probably got them working in some sort of a labor camp while he's just messing around selling wheat. Anyway, your kids just got home from where? Uh, the mountains in Colorado. Oh, well, good for you. Good for you. I know. They should enjoy themselves in July like that. All right. Hey, till next time, I really appreciate you being here, Mr. Sager. My honor. Thanks, Damien. Right. Thank you. By the way, this is the Business of Agriculture. Till next time.